Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. About a month ago, New York City turned orange. People were trudging to work like normal and buying bodega sandwiches. But it was all through this apocalyptic fog. The fog had drifted down to us from Canada. Wildfires had been burning there throughout the first half of the summer. This was the first time that I'd felt the effects of a wildfire personally. But I knew, as you probably know, that they're getting worse all over the world. In California and South Africa, in places you wouldn't expect, like Germany and the Amazon. And most recently, on a number of islands in Greece. Greece is bracing itself for another day of intense heat with wildfires continuing to rage. The worst affected areas are the islands of Rhodes and Evia, where the fires have been burning for days. These fires are getting worse because of climate change. But saying that can feel really abstract because climate change is so many little things in so many different places. It left me with a lot of questions. And it left my colleague Henry Mance with questions too. You see these pictures of places on fire. Yeah. And especially if you're not from a region where, where like burning is part of the ecosystem, part of the landscape, it just seems incredible that we live alongside this and it gets worse and it gets worse and we throw firefighters at it and we throw planes and we throw helicopters <laughs> and we, we, we can't do anything. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to sort of speak to people and find out about like, you know, how they think about it, how they, you know, firefighters, how, how are they dealing with these fires? What is the plan? Is there a plan? Henry's the FT's chief features writer, and he's the perfect reporter for a question like this, because when Henry gets into something, he gets really into it. Like a few years ago, he started researching animals for a book he was writing, and it turned him vegan. So before he knew it, Henry was packing his bags for wildfire camp. He got on a train from London to the Polish countryside, and he joined about 200 firefighters and firefighting experts from around the world. What did you want to get out of it? I guess, you know, I'm I'm quite on board with the idea that the future is is here and it's it's pretty different and the climate is is changed. And so I'm I'm kind of up preparing for that. Right. Like if we're gonna have very hot temperatures and the risk of fire, then like can we do something? And and I really wanted to get a sense of what is the latest thinking? Uh what is the what are the clever people who understand fire right. thinking about uh controlling these blazes? Today, Henry brings us to wildfire camp and tells us what he learned, why they've gotten bigger and more dangerous, and also what we do now that they're here. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Henry, hi, welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be on again. Okay, Henry, tell me the story. So you showed up at wildfire fighting camp in Poland. Where were you? Who were you with? Were you the only novice? <laughs> were you <laughs> what was it like? Uh, yes. So um, I took the train to Berlin and then uh, we drove over the border into, into Poland, into these um, 
plantations, they have this sort of um, state-managed forest. And mm -hmm. we were there with um, a group, uh, the European Forest Institute and also a uh, SNEP, which is a sort of fire, uh, Polish firefighters organization, and also Pau Costa Foundation, which does a lot of um, uh, fire prevention work uh, within Europe. So um, uh, the, now the aim of this camp was to really bring people together from different countries, because all these countries across Europe, and indeed um, further afield, there was someone from Lebanon, someone from Ukraine, people mm -hmm. from the US, they're all seeing very similar problems. And yet what they're having to deal with at, at their national level is often people who don't understand these problems, who haven't seen them, who are sort of yeah. surprised by these wildfires. So it was a real sort of, partly to, to get some morale amongst firefighters who, you know, are, are now seeing uh, conditions that are, are, are much less promising than when they were a bit younger. Yeah. So set the scene for us. What was it like? So we're, we're in a, um, a kind of a, a strange set of quite primitive uh, resort buildings mm -hmm. next to a, a huge lake. And in the middle of this state-managed um, uh, pine plantation, so it's very hmm. dry on the ground. The sun's high in the sky, and you know needles, needles on the floor, very um, regimented trees. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of it was a slightly weird vibe of like a um, almost like a sort of a army camp. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I guess it was somewhere people might go on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so can you take us through your day? Like, what was it? How long were you there? What was it like? Were you waking up in the morning and like fighting fires? <laughs> were you having breakfast? Yeah, so I mean, then... this was um, what we were trying to do on, and what, what the organizers were, tr were trying to do with this fire camp was to uh, show people the various different techniques you can use if mm -hmm. you're facing a, a forest fire um, or a wildfire. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were actually traipsing around um, quite a big area, I think, ended up walking 20, 30 kilometers in the day um, with a map, mm -hmm. trying to navigate from one point to the other and simulate what it is like being thrown into an area where you're not exactly sure where the forest fire is. You might be given a report of it oh, where wow. you're not sure how you can contain it, but you might need to find some way of containing it. It's, um, and to, uh, you know, it's, it's somewhere between some kind of uh, hiking expedition and then a very sort of, uh, you know, physical, you know, manual labor to try mm -hmm. and uh, create uh, a barrier that the, the fire can't get across. To get a better sense of how hard it is to fight wildfires now, Henry and his new camp friends simulated fighting real fires. Things like digging a long trench in the dirt in an area that you anticipate the fire reaching, which ideally the fire is not able to jump over, or everyone getting in a row at the edge of a fire and using a tool called a beater, which looks like this giant shovel, to try to beat down and smother the flames. And you do it um, as a long line. And um, our South African instructor uh, described, um, you know, long lines of South African firefighters doing this, hundreds of people singing while they did it. And, you know, the wow. beaters going up, beaters going down, trying to put out these grass fires. And it's sort of, it's, it, it seems... Uh, incredibly, you know, basic to be putting mm -hmm. out fires in that way. But those are the tool, tools we have. And, you know, you can't, um, you can't just try and spray water on everything because often the water connection isn't there. Um, right. And with the really big fires, actually, water is, is not enough. Yeah, yeah. Didn't um, somebody that you interview say something like, uh, sometimes these planes are like spitting on a campfire? Yeah, I love that. I love that <laughs> image. And I think it's a great frustration because, you know, politicians... Every summer they see these problems and they say, oh, we're going to do something. So they buy some planes 
Uh, and that's right. what the EU has done. The EU, different countries have their own and, and different parts of countries have their own fire units. Um, but the EU has said that Solidarity will buy 20 more planes and helicopters. And right. this is just nothing. And yet it's very, very expensive. So you're spending tens of millions of dollars on each of these very impressive looking planes, but they can't actually solve the problem. And I think the frustration from fire experts and firefighters is you could spend this money much better on uh, preventing fires by investing in landscape schemes, um, investing in detection and monitoring. And yeah. then, then we might have a, a chance at, at lowering the intensity of some of these fires. There are a few things happening at the same time to the climate that's causing these wildfires. First, because temperatures are getting hotter, places that used to have moisture in the air are getting a lot drier. And that means that forests are more flammable. Second, scientists are seeing more wind, which fans the fires. Third, we're getting more lightning, and that's how a lot of fires start. So there are more ignition sources. What's interesting is the result here isn't more fires, but rather fires that are more intense. They're so much more intense that they even behave differently than they used to. Henry calls the kind of fires we saw in Canada recently mega fires. Just to give you some figures from, from British Columbia alone. Okay, so as of June, they had had about 900,000 hectares burnt. Right. The seasonal average over the last 20 years for that time of year was to have about 16,000 hectares. So what wow. they've had this year is 50 times. 50 times. So from 16,000 to 900,000. They get so hot and they burn so uh, so quickly. And they, you know, th these are, you, you can have different types of fire, right? These are fires. They burn up each tree from um, from top to bottom. They leap from the leaves to, um, uh, from the branches to the next tree. Right. And they race away and they create almost their own weather. Right. And they also, uh, with the wind that surrounds them, embers get thrown off. And these are fires that can jump over rivers, jump over roads, jump oh over barriers that are traditionally thought of as, as fire breaks. So firefighters around the world just aren't prepared for this new kind of fire. A lot of them have no experience with wildfires. They're used to fighting house fires or city fires, which is totally different. With wildfires, you need good walking shoes, not bulky boots. You don't have a hose and a hydrant. You actually need to carry your food and water with you because you could be out there for days or weeks on end. And then on top of that, these fires have gotten so much wilder that even experienced wildfire fighters have to basically throw out the old rulebook. You wrote in your piece this line that stuck with me that said, what does it mean to be a student of fire when all the textbooks are out of date? Like, is the image that we have of modern wildfire fighting really very different from the practices? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I, I love this phrase that a lot of firefighters use, which is, uh, you know, to be a student of fire. And that's all about humility, right? It's all mm. about the fact that fire is not something to be played with. And I think especially over the last couple of decades, there's been a real focus on firefighters keeping each other safe, right? So mm -hmm. don't try and be the hero uh, because firefighters have, you know, uh, have died. It's a dangerous line of work. And so mm -hmm. there's a real... Um, there's the real emphasis on watch the fire. Don't assume you know the, what the fire is going to do because you've seen a similar fire uh, before because there are all these factors like the wind right. speed, the potential changes in the weather, the landscape may be slightly different to the one you, you're used to, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so they say be a student of fire. Um, and yet the, the textbooks will tell you things like 
you know, uh, at night, there may be an opportunity to uh, attack the fire because, you know, uh, temperature drops, humidity rises at night, and therefore the fire might burn a bit less intensely. But mm -hmm. what, we, what I'm told now we're seeing, for example, in Spain are fires that, that burn almost as strongly at the night as they do in the day. They find their fuel service and they just get going and they just keep this intensity. And there aren't these chances to, to attack the fire. All this said, there are preventative measures you can take to keep things from getting so bad. One of them is quite literally fighting fire with fire. This is a historic practice that we do much less often than we used to, especially in North America. For thousands of years, indigenous people set controlled fires in their cold season. These were pre-planned, low-intensity fires that got rid of low-growing plants and shrubs that could fuel bigger fires down the line. It kept things contained. So the landscape and species have evolved for fire. It leads to a renewal, right? So old trees um, may get burned up and they get replaced by, by new trees. So, mm -hmm. so fire is this renewing force. And yeah, indigenous peoples in, in North America really understood this. And there's a, a, you know, a wonderful study just showing how much of California, what is now California, uh, was burnt before um, the arrival of white settlers. And mm. it's a huge amount. And the, the sort of estimate is that, you know, in a, in, a, in a typical summer, these controlled burns would actually make the sky smoky. Having smoke in the sky would have been a very normal thing before right. the arrival of white settlers because of this practice of burning. Um, and then you create also, I mean, what farmers use, use burning for still now is, you know, you burn the grass, you create uh, fresh pasture for, right. for livestock, and that, that is a source of meat and milk. Right. And then just to clarify, and then what European settlers came and they started seeing the burning of the land, controlled burning as like this magical, mystical, yeah, sad um, thing. There's a there's a famous, uh, I mean, the most famous historian of, of fire is um, a guy called Stephen Pine. And the way he relates it is that the Enlightenment mm -hmm. um, couldn't really um, deal with fire or, or, you know, once we understood how fire worked and you know, oxygen, or, uh, all these things, then we wanted to restrain it and contain it. Western Europe, temperate Western Europe, so northern France, England, what is now Germany, th these were countries without fire in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And this was the dominant mindset that went out to places like the Americas. Right, um, where they were used to fire and where fire should have... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. makes sense, yeah. So th there was certainly this misunderstanding of mm -hmm. how ecosystems worked and that, you know, ecosystems could be kept without fires. And um, we became very good and, you know, with very heroic work by firefighters at putting out fires, at detecting mm -hmm. fires and trying to put them out straight away. Now, this is now seen as having been a sort of self-defeating strategy right. uh, that you, you manage to put out fires, but you just leave bigger fires in store. The experts Henry spoke with recommend that we do more prescribed burnings as a form of prevention. They also suggest more livestock grazing. So there are some solutions. There are also better methods of fighting these fires now, like strategically bulldozing large strips of trees and even houses to create fire breaks. I've linked to Henry's magazine story on this in the show notes. But despite all of these improvements, I was left feeling a little bit like, is this all going to be enough? So I'm like picturing you on your way back from this camp and on the train back to London. And uh, 
And I am curious what you were thinking. Like, did you feel any hope? <laughs> did you, were you surprised by anything? I think one of the, the, the more optimistic things or more hopeful things to remember is that even some of these really bad fires actually don't have to result in that many deaths or, right. or even in any deaths. So the Fort McMurray fire in Canada, which if you Google it, was an absolutely extraordinary fire. And um, that actually, and led to 80,000 people being evacuated. Nobody was directly killed by a fire. Two people who were evacuated by car were in a car crash and, and very sadly died, right? right. And that's a real, a real hopeful sign that we can protect ourselves with warning systems, right. um, with, uh, with preparedness. We, we can make these uh, disasters less lethal. Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel better. <laughs> That's <laughs> just waffling. Oh, God. <laughs> Henry, can I, uh, I guess my last question is just like, do you see a time in which you will be willing to fight a wildfire? Are you, <laughs> did this inspire you? I'm seriously you? tempted. I mean, I, um, I'm tempted to go out and, and fight a wildfire. There was one German <laughs> guy who was there, Nico, uh, and he was great. He was really good at all the exercises we did. Um and he was uh, he was right on top of it, and um, he was going straight out to South Africa to help them fight some grass fires as a volunteer. Wow. And they were like, "If you can pay your way there, we'll we'll sort you out for accommodation once you're there." Um, and so I really kind of um, I I kind of almost wanted to fo follow him on the next plane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think I, I yeah I think um, I think there isn't huge recognition for it. But mm -hmm. you you you've really got to you've really got to believe it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Henry, this is wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Lola. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. Henry's piece, again, is in the show notes. And just so you know, every FT link that you click there will get you past the paywall. If you want to explore more on FT.com, we have the best trial and subscription options for you. They're at FT.com slash weekend podcast. Next week, we have the one and only David Byrne on the podcast. He has a new show on Broadway out called Here Lies Love, and his classic Talking Heads concert documentary, Stop Making Sense, is being remastered and re-released by A24 next month. As you know, we love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod, and I am on Instagram and Twitter, but mostly talking to all of you on Instagram at Lila Rapp. I am Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll find each other again next week. 